My name is Tyler. I am your host on Ask Me Anything. This podcast features Lynn and Paul Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Ask Me Anything. What do you guys think of that new? Uh, <laughs> I like it. There you go. New intro there. Wow. Cool, calm, and collective. Different. Just wanted to, uh, again, thank everybody for tuning in. We got a special guest here, Paul Johnson. Thanks for coming, Paul. Hey, this is my second time. You don't have to announce me as a special guest. I'm just part of the family. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, Paul. Dad, welcome back. Thank you. How are you doing? How are you guys doing? Good. Great. You excited to be here? Enthused. Give me, give me a rating one out of ten of how excited you guys are to do this podcast. Okay. <laughs> ten? Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm like a seven. I know, but, we, ha- we had to convince you to come down here and do this. But I'm, I'm getting more excited as we get into this. Okay, good. All right, well, we are going to talk about something very interesting tonight, which is what makes a successful athlete? But before we dive into that question, I wanted to go over Lynn's credentials of why he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this topic. So, Dad, why don't you kind of... It's because I'm such a fabulous athlete. (laughs) (laughs) What? What's all the laughing for? What was your last marathon time? It doesn't matter what time it is. (laughs) Ouch. I finished it, right? That's what matters. Bro, he's 58 years old. He's almost 60. Speaking of, there was somebody in your office the other day that was making fun of the signs that you have on the wall that says Clydesdale Division. Yeah. She's like, why would you want to be compared to a Clydesdale? (laughs) (laughs) That's just just basically saying you're a fat horse and you can get across the finish line. That's a big accomplishment. Dang right. I'm proud to be Clydesdale. Some of us aren't genetically mastered like others, so... You gotta be, you gotta be proud of what you are. Would you say that you're gel- genetically mastered? No. <laughs> genetically mastered to be a Clydesdale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about your studies and some of the certifications that you have when it comes to athletic training and sports and stuff like that. All right. I don't. I actually don't remember everything, but um, a lot of my physical therapy. Uh, continuing education over the last couple of years has been geared towards my interests such as running and form and that biomechanics and that kind of thing. So I've taken a lot of continuing education courses in my physical therapy career. Um, I don't know how many years ago I decided that I wanted to get credentialed as a personal trainer. So I looked at various venues and the NASM program I liked a lot. So I signed up for that. And the thing that they don't tell you, that once you get certified, you have to keep doing continuing education for the rest of your life in order to stay certified. So every two years, I think they require that you take a certain number of credits per course. And... I've taken almost all of them. It's um, from personal training to sports-specific training to uh, group training to youth group training, nutrition, 
motivation, just... Uh, Olymp- didn't you get Olympic lifting through them as well? Or? No, I got certified as an Olympic lifting uh, instructor at a different venue, but yeah. So, um, just a lot of the credentials that they have. How long ago did you do you think you started training? Like specifically towards athletes, you know, on a regular basis? It's probably we did a little bit when Paul was in his high school years. Um, we tried to get groups of kids together to do different aspects of training. So since uh, the early early 2000s. And you do this training just out of your physical therapy offices? Yes. And at the track, we do different things. We started, it was interesting, there was a, a apparatus called the Vertimax, and uh, it was pretty powerful. And it, most of it was um, about increasing your vertical jump and how that would increase your athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, my partner, one of my partners and I, we decided to invest in that and we got several for our company and it was fun to watch to try and make kids puke after after having worked on it it was pretty rigorous paul how much time do you would you say that you spent on the vertimax Ooh, lots lots of time i i remember the first time i worked out uh in your solo office on that machine and I never, I mean, I had done a lot of tough workouts, but I had never pushed myself to the point of literally wanting to throw up. And I remember getting off that machine and I wanted to puke. It made me sick. So, Dad, why don't you explain a little bit what the Vertimax is? and um, The overall aspect, it's a, a platform that you step onto that's semi-padded and it has resistance on your knees, hips, and arms. And you can do multiple things. You can train form. You can train power. You can train height. We had just a basic specific program that we had utilized to increase a vertical jump. And we'd go around and uh, advertise it to schools. We, we were selling them also. And we had advertised it to schools. And in one session, we could increase a kid's vertical by four inches. And that was pretty impressive. So... A lot of times it would sell a basketball coach right away. So but. so would you say that the Vernimax was like kind of like your start to... Yeah, I, it, was, it was an apparatus that we started utilizing and then from there just started getting into different types of training and, and different aspects of training and that's what we did. So then after the Vernimax and getting into more training, what was the next step for you in coaching and and athletic training well we just started doing that stuff i I have always been very active in the schools uh, the local high schools where i've lived to uh, be a part of their sports program as far as sports medicine and taking care of athletes that way and trying to rehabilitate them and it was just kind of the next step to go from rehabilitation to uh, increasing their abilities as an athlete and so I started taking continuing education courses in that and and then started training. I was an assistant coach on the football team for three or four years. Yeah, four. 
We did two years at defensive backs and two years at offensive line. And then um, I was an assistant coach in track for a year for the sprinters and then took over the head coach job after that. But taking it back a little bit, Dad, before even before the Vertimax, weren't you training, weren't you working a lot with baseball players? Because I remember back... I mean, one of one of your claims to fame was uh, Doug Doug Mathis from Shola, right? Who played in the the MLB, the Major League Baseball, right? Yeah, um, we started. We offered a couple of uh, training venues for the local high school teams. We started with Blue Ridge, and then Sholo and uh, Snowflake a little bit later, and one of the teams that really stuck with it was Sholo and one of their players was Doug Mathis. He actually ended up getting drafted by the Texas Rangers and uh, that was exciting. He and I had a good relationship throughout his four years of high school and then he would come in the summers when he was in college and he would uh, work out with me in the summers. Why don't you tell us a little bit about outgrowing the physical therapy office because I know that you started getting a, a pretty large amount of kids coming to the office, and you want to talk a little bit about the transition to Mount Multifit and all that? So, obviously, you need a place to train, and especially in winter months or when you have weights and and uh, when you're doing the Olympic lifts. And the start of it was at my office, but we just have too many kids that wanted to be a part of that, and the office wasn't conducive. And so we started exploring other things, like had a gentleman that was involved in CrossFit. He wanted to do that. I had a couple of us that wanted to do spin, and so we did that. And it just progressed to where we needed bigger space. More people started wanting to do it, and... I started training individuals to, I trained one gentleman to run a half marathon and worked with him to do that. And then, and that was adults outside of the kids. And then uh, we worked with people that wanted to do triathlons or, or wanted to do distance running, that kind of thing, and worked with them to set up programs to help them to be successful also. And we just outgrew that. So we leased a space and, and, uh, put together an entity called Mountain Multifit, and uh, I was the financier. <laughs> I was the one putting up all the money, and uh, it just, you know, it works out. It worked out pretty good. There's a lot of people that utilized our facilities, and were able to accomplish a lot with what we did. So, what would you say the time span was from the time you really got into training until now? Nineteen twenty years. So 20 years of experience that we're talking here in so many different categories and aspects of athletic training. It's pretty impressive. But even before, one of the things that I appreciate about you, Dad, is that uh, you, I feel like you've always been a student of the game or whatever that game is. And even before you started training, you were involved heavily in sports programs. When, How far back does that date to? Um, since I got out of school, pretty much. I've been working since then with high school athletes, pretty much, since the early 90s. So, 
it's a, it's a pretty impressive <laughs> list of credentials, if I, if I say. So with all of that, let's go ahead and dive into the question of this podcast, which is what makes a successful athlete? I'll just throw it out on the table like that and, and see where you go with it. Wow. So that's a big question. There's a lot of factors involved, and maybe we could touch on just a few. The first thing that probably makes an outstanding athlete or a good athlete is time. Um, they say in order to, to develop expertise in any subject or event, you have to spend about 10,000 hours of consistent, deliberate practice. To put that in perspective, say you spent one hour a day, 365 days a year, to develop expertise in, in a chosen field. It would take you 27 years at one hour a day to do that. At two hours a day, it's going to cut that in half, so about 13, 13 years. Okay, And then, obviously, if you spend more time on weekends or something like that, you could cut it down to maybe 10. But again, that's 10 years of consistent, deliberate practice in something. So I, w I would say that the best athletes are the ones that are dedicated to their chosen sport or event and that spend time in deliberate practice. You can't, I mean, there's athletes that are gifted that, uh, you know, are blessed with a certain amount of agility or coordination and, and they stand out and they're good athletes. But those that are consistently the best, 10,000 hours, that's a lot of time. So let's break that first principle down, time and consistency. Paul, you were a pretty successful football player and athlete, track athlete, snowboarder. You were successful in a lot of things in high school. Why don't you explain the time it took to become successful at those things? For example, uh, for those listening, Paul holds the rushing record at the high school, <laughs> 1,723 yards. <laughs> Tyler knows that better than I do. <laughs> so talk, talk about the time that it took to accomplish a goal like that? Oh, man, I, I don't even know where to begin. Obviously, in junior high was the first time they didn't have the peewee football, you know, when I was a kid growing up. And so the first time I was able to really strap on pads and and play the game of football was in junior high when I was in seventh grade. And um, you know, I, like a lot of kids or a lot of athletes, I think I kind of had a, a – uh, a moment that really just just left an impression on my mind, my heart, and it changed me, and it made me want to want to be better. I had kind of tweaked my knee a little bit, and I remember Dad was down on the sidelines with me. This was in seventh grade, and I was a running back. I was running the ball, and I got pulled out because my knee was bothering me, and um, they started running this other kid. And dad had taped up my, my knee and I went back over to the coach and it's, it's so crazy, even though this was, you know, almost 50, 20 years ago, I, I still remember it like it was, like it was yesterday. Um, 
I went up to the coach and I said, Hey coach, I'm, I'm ready to go back in. <laughs> and like very hesitantly, he looked at me and he was like, well, Blake's doing a really good job. I think we're just going to leave him in. <laughs> and as a, you know, seventh grade junior high kid, I was just, just crushed. And I, you know, I, there's probably other things that were involved, but I remember that time and it was just kind of a light switch moment for me where I was like, I'm not okay being on the sidelines. Like, this is not good with me. I want to, you know, and so then, <clears throat> um, you know, obviously started working with dad a little bit and different things and he pushed me to get in the weight room <laughs> early on and, uh, I remember just spending summers going to camps and uh, just just like he said, just putting the time to that craft and, and really wanting to be good at that thing. And then, you know, other things like snowboarding and stuff like that, it was, it, you know, we, as kids, it, it, it does, it correlates. It was all just time. Like I remember playing basketball and <clears> – <throat> And that conflicted with snowboarding greatly. They didn't want us to snowboard, and so I had to make the you know you had to make the decision: you're going to play basketball or you're going to snowboard. And we stopped playing basketball, and every year we'd get passes, and you know we'd just go up and every chance we could as kids, just go up and spend time on the mountain skiing, snowboarding, and stuff. So, so I think that it's it's a statement that we could make that what makes a good athlete is passion also that if an athlete and the ones that I train the ones that really don't want to play or don't like their sport or are doing it just because their parents want them to they don't excel at it those athletes that have a passion for what they're doing then they generally excel at what they're doing because they will spend the time it wasn't that so, so Paul was a pretty good snowboarder, um, and given the amount of time that he was able to put in, but he would strap on a snowboard and go out on the, the trampoline and do flips and stuff on the trampoline with his snowboard. When it was snowing, he couldn't go to the mountain, or we didn't you know, have time to go to the mountain. We would uh, tie a ski rope to the truck and pull him all over town, you know, that he would snowboard in with the, with the ski rope. And uh, so I, I think not only is time a factor of a good athlete, but passion for what they're doing is uh, definitely one of the characteristics of a great athlete. So you said that a lot of times the passion isn't there because parents are forcing their kids to play a sport or or something like that, can passion be taught? Or can passion, you know, be ingrained in, in a kid? Uh, you guys tell me. I don't I don't think I overly pushed until you, you all decided that you wanted to do something. I don't think that I pushed it, uh, you know. But I have seen parents that push it and push it and push it. And the athlete just... Or the kid just doesn't like it. They don't want to do it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. You guys could answer that question probably better than I could. Well, I don't know how you feel, Todd, but to Dad's credit, like I, I agree with that, actually. I think that um, 
you know, just, just two examples. Like, growing up as a kid, I, I tried playing Little League, and I was so afraid of the ball that <laughs> it just wasn't fun to me. I hated it, and I decided that I was going to quit, and I don't remember feeling any pressure or, you know, pushing on behalf of mom and dad to to make me play Little League. And um, and then just, just like when I quit basketball and wanted to snowboard, like there was no... Dad was a great facilitator of, of um, you know, helping us to be the best at what we wanted to do. Like, you know, you'd think most parents would be a little disappointed if you quit basketball and wanted to snowboard. Like, Dad, Dad saw it as an opportunity to spend time with me and something that we enjoyed together, and he helped facilitate that in every way possible. We'd take ski trips every year. We'd... You know, any weekends we could, we'd go up together, and and that went on for years and years and years. And so, <clears throat> I think that um, you know, just being a parent that that you that you don't apply so much pressure that you push your kid away from something, but that you know you see you let them make their decisions on what they want to do, and then just just facilitate it, help it. You know, I've even seen some parents that come to the point where they're like, honestly, I don't care what you do as long as you're doing something and I'll support you in that thing. And another thing when it comes to passion too, at least from what I've seen, I feel like some kids are born with passion and they have it from from the very beginning of everything. And I feel like there's some kids that have that turning point in life, whether it's in high school or after high school, where they just have that turning point and then they're the most passionate person about that thing. And then there's some kids that just never find that passion in something, you know. And I think we can talk a little bit about that, the, the turning point that me and you had. We talked about it earlier, not on the podcast, and I think it would be an interesting topic to talk about. So I think this story came from Dad. Within me and Paul growing up, did you see any turning points with that within us? when it came to passion and, and, and drive to do something or be great at something? Well, two instances that I recall, and obviously this is according to my memory and my experience. You guys might be able to shed some light on it. But for Paul, I think one time that he was very gifted talent-wise and he was very coordinated and, and agile and so some of his sports came fairly natural to him. He was a big kid, and, and uh, running the ball and playing sports was was pretty easy. Um, I remember he wanted, uh, in the junior high in Snowflake here, um, they give an award for the outstanding athlete in junior high or whatever, and he wanted that really bad. And he didn't get it, if I recall. And one of his teachers, a weight teacher, um, uh, talked to him about it and said, you know, you are you have this natural ability and you don't have to work hard like all these other kids do. And I saw other kids working hard and you just kind of floated along relying upon your abilities, your genetic abilities or whatever. And that's why I didn't give it to you. And he was pretty upset about that. And... But he learned a big lesson from it, and that taught him that he needed to work hard. And after that, it was all out. I mean, he was 
weightlifting. He was doing everything he could. I would go. Um, I was into the marathoning time at that time, and I, the only time I could do it is at night, and I'd go out like at 9 o'clock uh, to 10, and he would get on his bike, and he would ride his bike while I'd run around town, and he would just speed up and just just do everything. I mean, he did everything that he could to, to, uh, to do stuff like that. And then I think your turning point was... Um, as I recall, it was your freshman year, and you were running track, and you had spent a lot of time at practice and didn't really get to run in any meets that I recall. And uh, I remember you were really frustrated. They were having their home meet. Uh, Snowflake was having their home meet. And someone had said that they didn't want to run a race and ask you if you would do that. And, of course, you wanted to, to run in front of home crowd and that kind of stuff. And you went and asked the coach if you could run, and he told you no, that you had to go back and, uh, you know, finish marking discus or shot put or something. I don't remember what he had to do. But you came home, and you were just really, really frustrated and uh, wanted to quit and, at first thought, I was like, yeah, if a coach isn't going to let you participate, then you don't have to do it. But we decided that you would finish out the year. And I, I remember after that year and football, um, you didn't uh, do it quite as well as you thought. But you came to me in that summer. And I remember specifically you said, Dad, I will do whatever it takes to do good, to be good. And... Uh, and then you started working. And then that sophomore year, uh, you had a good football year. And, and even on JV, you got pulled up to varsity a little bit. And then uh, you got second at state in 100, and that kind of sparked you. And I think you decided at that time you wanted to, you wanted to pursue athletics. So those are the turning points that I remember. So at least in me and Paul's situation, you know, our – we weren't necessarily born passionate about the things that we wanted to become successful at, and it it took a life experience to get us to that point. So I think that's an important thing about passion is that some people are born with it. Some people need a life experience to obtain it. And oh, then, With football, <laughs> that was you. Your eighth grade and I think part of your freshman year, every game you just cried. And I was like, if you're going to keep crying, dude, you're not going to play football anymore. <laughs> we'll just be done with this. And yeah, I remember that talk. I'm pretty sure that went into his senior year. Whatever. <laughs> well, good. All right, so we have time and passion. What else makes a successful athlete? Paul, do you want to add another principle that you've seen in your time um, coaching track? and with football and in, in your own experiences? One of the things that stands out to me <clears throat> um, that I've been able to see more as a coach than I did as an athlete <clears throat> was just just kids or athletes who are, who are persistent. You know what I mean? Um, I, I had the opportunity to coach uh, one of my sprinters last year probably one of the best that I've had the opportunity to coach. She's set the 100-meter the record for Snowflake High School. She set the 200-meter record for the Snowflake High School. She just just an outstanding athlete, 
you know, went in to state in four events and placed in all of her events. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't remember her being an exceptional athlete as a freshman or, or even as a sophomore. It wasn't until junior, you know, junior year, senior year, she started to really come on. And just just like you, that can be a, an incredibly tough thing for a young athlete to come in and be competing with older athletes or older students and better students and to to have the mind frame that they're just gonna they're gonna stick with it and they're gonna persist. you know, for a young mind <clears throat> to to have the patience to look years ahead, and continue working at something I I think it's incredibly admirable of young people and it's a it's a quality that you know a lot of athletes <clears throat> have to develop like it takes time and um and yeah I I, I, just, I would just say persistence and sticking with it and and working I think that we observe that a lot of the athletes today suffer from the Veruca syndrome. And you guys heard me utilize that. Veruca was the young lady on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that kept telling her dad, I want it, Daddy, and I want it now. And the kids want, want that. They want to be successful now, but they don't necessarily want to pay the price. They want to have the rewards now, but they have no idea what it takes to get those rewards. And uh, I, I see a lot of that Veruca syndrome and the dedication that some of these athletes have shown over a four-year span to develop their their talent, to develop their athleticism is, uh, you know... I think that's a key aspect, just like Paul said. I'm actually really glad that you kind of pushed me to do track after my freshman year because I had the Veruca syndrome, and I did exactly what Paul was explaining, coming in as a freshman athlete, and I had to race against Matt Reedhead, who is the school record holder in the 100 meter, and I was just, you know, devastated. Like, he's he's already finishing when I'm halfway down the track, and... <laughs> And I didn't want to be part of that anymore. And so, you know, I guess I had the Bruker syndrome and had to come out of that. But like you said, you know, the next year I was able to take second at state. And I think that helped a lot with my Bruker syndrome. Okay. But there's a lot more, there's a lot of kids that are a lot more patient than me that, like Paul said, two, three years before they see success and they still push through. In my opinion, another thing that, you know, I ran track in college, and the thing that I noticed the most within my success was the little things. And that's what I want to add to this podcast is the time, the times that I was doing the little things like stretching and focusing on my nutrition and my weight and the way that I spent my free time is when I saw the most success which was at which it was at Pima Community College. I, I came off my mission and I got right back up to my PR within a year in the long jump and 
I was skinny. I was ripped. I was working hard. I was focusing on my nutrition. I was focusing on stretching, and you know, a lot of a lot of that comes from my coach. But and then I go to Weber State and I put on ten pounds, and I became very unflexible, if that's how you say it. And I was drinking a ton of soda, and I wasn't putting in those little things outside of practice. And I really saw a tank in my success and my performance. And so that's what I would like to add to to this. So I think that that's a characteristic of a successful athlete. And you, you say little things. I would call that characteristic sacrifice. Never have, have I seen an outstanding athlete that hasn't sacrificed. Whether it's spending extra 30 minutes stretching, whether it's disciplining themselves to eat an appropriate diet, to not drink soda pop, that kind of thing. All that requires sacrifice. And I've seen so many athletes that want to be good or excel in their chosen event or sport. And another thing that sets them apart from the rest is they're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to give up things. They're willing to give up uh, bodily appetites and passions. They're, they're willing to give up time. They're willing to give up events, social events. They're, they're willing to take abuse from classmates, whatever. You know, I can re- remember when Jordan Gardner, his goal was to be the top runner distance runner at the school and set school records and he gave up other sports he gave up soccer and football so that he could uh, focus on running and in doing that his peers just gave him trash coaches gave him trash about because he was a very good athlete and he could have done well in those sports but his goal was to be an excellent runner and he gave up sacrificed a lot of things this young gal Hannah Floden who uh, I trained from Blue Ridge and she ultimately went to ASU on a scholarship Um, she was a two-time player of the year recipient in soccer Um, her, her sophomore and her junior year she was the player of the year Their team had won state, and she wanted to run track at college, and she was a multi-year state champion, and we were trainer, and as we talked, the biggest fear that I had was that she would get a knee injury in soccer, and then that would, you know, squelch her her dreams to run track, especially uh, at the next level if she had a knee injury or something, and she gave up track her she gave up soccer her senior year she didn't play her senior year so that she could focus in on getting better for track and she took a lot of grief for for not playing soccer her senior year when she was so good at it and when she got the scholarship to ASU it was it was worth her sacrifice but that's another characteristic of, of athletes 
um, in order for them to be highly successful. Is they, they have to be willing to sacrifice. So we've discussed a lot of really good principles in this podcast. Time, passion, persistence, and sacrifice. And one thing that I really like to do at the end of the podcast is open the floor to like a final message because I think there's a lot of strength and power that comes within a final message and that's why I do it. So I'm going to open the floor to, to Paul and then to to Lynn to just leave the final message of what makes a, su- a successful athlete and go from there. So all of these principles, I feel like you can apply them to life in general. Um, that's one thing that I love about sports and just athletics in you know, in general is that these, these principles are so applicable and they're so, they're so helpful in everything that you do. Life is not, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> life is not easy. And, uh, you know, I've, I've told many people this is, is dad has kind of sparked my interest in marathon running and we've started running marathons. One of the biggest takeaways for me in being a marathon runner, which is such a simple thing, but yet it it carries such weight with me, is is the ability to strengthen my mind. You know, it's it's a hard thing to go out weekend after weekend and run 16, 18, 20 miles, and day after day put in three to five miles and just constantly be training and nutrition and stretching and but it, but at the same time, you're developing habits in your brain and in your mind that make you mentally strong. And, you know, for for all other aspects of life, whether it's tough relationships or a tough job or, you know, whatever it is, like, I, I'm a firm believer that you can strengthen your your mind to, to be strong for those moments and to be strong for those things. And... And all of these qualities that we talked about, they directly correlate with life. You know, we uh, there are times when we have to be persistent in life. We just have to put our head down. And though we may not see success for years, we just have to keep pushing. There are times when we have to be passionate, you know, and and carry passion with what we're doing. Um, and and on and on and 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 again, I that's well, that's what I love about sports so much, and that's why it's it's been such a big part of my life, and why you know I enjoy it because it it's it's made me who I am, and it's made me a better person in life in general. I think that to just to piggyback off that, I think that's well said and appropriate that. We look at life not as sports. Some people, you know, wear the T-shirt. Sports is life. And that's not true. The characteristics that we develop from sports is life. And I believe that the the take-home message is the development of those characteristics. If... You want to be an actor. You develop the characteristics to be a great actor. If you want to be a sports person, a baseball player, football player, 
snowboarder, whatever, you develop the characteristics that help you be the best at that. And, you know, to, to enjoy that. If you want to be a great businessman or a great father or whatever, you use and utilize those characteristics to make you better. And obviously I would want my posterity to apply that to their religious conviction to utilize those things to be good people, to be productive in society, and to be a witness of Christ, of their conviction, and be good at that, be an expert in that field, which requires passion, time, devotion, sacrifice, all of that. I just want to thank you guys for being the types of role models in my life that have put in practice those characteristics and have pushed me to develop those characteristics for myself as well. And again, thanks for being here tonight. I enjoyed you guys. I thought it was a good topic and a lot of fun. Thanks for being here, Paul. It's always good when we wing it, right? <laughs> we we winged it. <laughs> but uh, we're going to do a little fist bump here in the center. Sorry for those who can't see that awesome, awesome visual. But thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and this topic especially. And uh, we hope to catch you in the next one.